0: Good morning, great assembly. <laughs> <laughs> and Thank you, Damon Roche, for this opportunity. Um, welcome to 2023. We made it. <laughs> um, to some, uh, what's it? Astrological facts uh, about uh, this new year. Um, it's- You're the rabbit, the water rabbit. As a matter of fact, according to the uh, Chinese five element theory. Each zodiac sign is um, <clears throat> associated with one of the five elements, it's metal, wood, water, uh, water, fire, earth, and metal. The water rabbit comes around every 60 years, 60-year uh, cycle. And uh, the water rabbit symbolizes longevity, peace, and prosperity. Um and, um, this, this year is predicted to be a year of hope, so may it be so. <laughs> Many of you n- may know or may not know that I recently completed, uh, an eight-week practice period at Green Dragon Temple in early December. I came back. And, um, it was a that practice period was a do-over from the ill-fated 2020 uh attempt to uh to go through this um ritual the ceremony um for this practice period of great compassion i was invited by the senior teacher uh Tension rev anderson to be the Shuso. and uh if you don't know what Shuso is it's the head student or head <coughs> monk of the student body ideally a Shuso should be an exemplary model of practice, comportment, and perhaps forbearance. From my point of view, being a Shusso was a privilege that also came with a degree of vulnerability, making mistakes for all to see and yet still carrying on and just doing what was in front of me at that time. So there I sat sharing the Dharma seat and the responsibility alongside Tenshin Roshi because I already had the Shuso entering ceremony back in 2020. This time I was Shuso from the very first day. My days at Green Dragon Temple began at 345 in the morning, preparing to run the wake up bell across the grounds, enthusiastically ringing, the bell six times a week. So this following talk is this the talk I gave uh, at Green Dragon Temple about six weeks into the practice period, and it was written based around many conversations I've had with my fellow practitioners and Dharma talks and lectures. So we'll see what it sounds like here. From case one of the Book of Serenity, translated by Cleary. One day, the World Honored One ascended the seat. Manjushri struck the gavel and said, clearly observe the Dharma of the King of Dharma. The Dharma of the King of Dharma is thus. The World Honored One then got down from the seat. The accompanying verse, the unique breeze of reality, do you see, continuously, the mother principle, or creation, runs her loom and shuttle, weaving the ancient brocade, incorporating the forms of spring, but nothing can be done about Manjushri's leaking. This is the case in verse such as it is. And we can take up this koan as an invitation, or as a challenge. Something to look into, something to resolve. A koan can be defined as a public case, and this seems like an appropriate venue to uh, turn this koan a little bit. We can experience this or any other Zen story from a number of perspectives, as Buddha ascending and descending the teaching seat, Or as Manjushri, the Bodhisattva of great wisdom, we can manifest as Manjushri's gavel and as the whack of the gavel, and we can embody any of the 10,000 myriad forms of spring. This case makes no mention of any assembly other than the Buddha and Manjushri. We can assume that there probably is one with Manjushri's declaration to clearly observe. So as long as we stay engaged with the story, it is us who comprises the assembly along with any other facet of this koan. As such, there are two assemblies. This great assembly that is listening to a talk about a koan who is also inhabiting the assembly inside the koan. Or maybe there's just one assembly in two places. At any rate, like it or not, your involvement, much like your attendance Today is mandatory. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for being here. <laughs> the Book of Serenity or Book of Equanimity or Book of Composure is a collection of 100 koans compiled and published in the 12th century by the Chinese ancestor Hong Hongzhu. The attendant verses for these koans were added first by Wang Song about 100 years later. And then there are further commentaries, pointers, and capping verses added on by other teachers. As I understand it, the actual author of the koan is uh, a mystery. These 100 koans are born from the teachings and practice of silent illumination, a fundamental tenet of of the Soto Zen school. So important is this compilation that Zen teacher Tension Rev. Anderson called it an auspicious peak in the mountain range of Zen literature, a subtle flowing stream in the deep valleys of our teaching, a treasure house of inspiration and guidance in studying the ocean of Buddhist teachings. The Book of Serenity is the more gentle, subtle koan collection, according to our Soto tradition compared with its sister compilation, The Blue Cliff Record, which is born from the Rinzai school of Zen. Indeed, the 100 koans in the Book of Serenity are the same or similar as those in The Blue Cliff Record. Case one in The Book of Serenity, The World Honored One Ascends the seat, appears in The Blue Cliff Record as case 92, where the writing in The Book of Serenity Can be seen as gentler quieter and more subtle the corresponding koans in the blue cliff record can be seen as dramatic forceful and abrupt for the sake of time and my sanity we will i will only be working with uh the case solely from the book of serenity (laughs) we can look at koans as the folk stories of zen buddhism and i remember reverend Shori, uh, referring to them as a skit, I like that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, The folk stories of Zen Buddhism, they are the imaginative and creative expressions of the teachings, the distillation and essence of the discourses and sutras that point directly to reality. According to Robert Aiken, who provided the foreword in the Clery Translation, Along with tension Roshi's acknowledgement, these Zen stories through poetic verse and metaphorical narrative and dialogue reveal the whole truth of reality, but from a single vantage point or a specific perspective. Aitken says that a hundred koans gives a hundred vantages and when cultivated with insightful commentaries, verse and poetry over many centuries, then you have 10,000 vantages. We then gain the rich treasure store of the Buddha Dharma, and this flowering enrichment continues endlessly. When I first encounter a koan, I assume that it is, that it was not composed, compiled, commented on, and made into verse over many centuries to be enjoyed as casual entertainment or lighthearted amusement for the reader. I must add, however, that indeed koans can be both entertaining and amusing, but I suspect that this is not their primary function. I assume that something is being pointed to, that there is a teaching to be grasped, a mystery to be solved, a truth to be uncovered. There is an eye of a koan that must be witnessed. But I have asked myself does this need to be a grim duty? an arduous and joyless requisite of Zen training. (laughs) I have been really striving to shift my intention and attitude around koans to allow some ease and relaxation into the practice, seeking a middle way between tension and laxity. I am finding it very helpful to view a koan as a warm invitation. To accept this invitation is to bring the story into my own practice, my own life, my lived experience having an interpersonal relationship with these zen stories has allowed for some warmth and vitality into the encounters and after all this need not be about pass and fail although i suspect that a lot of us soto zen students have unfortunately adopted this notion to some degree or another but such a notion may not be completely groundless I personally have found some koans to be intimidating, really cryptic and arcane, something frustrating to be avoided. (laughs) I once asked my Rinzai teacher at the Detroit Zen Center if they practice koans in the Soto tradition. I was only vaguely familiar with Soto back then. And he gruffly said, yeah, they talk about them. (laughs) (laughs) Just like that. (laughs) I nodded my head and uh, went on my way with the uh, impression that this was not a good thing. <laughs> uh, although I practiced uh, in that Korean lineage for about two years, I only had uh, a few interviews with the teacher. The more senior and committed students were the were the ones really going at it as far as I could see. And honestly, I never had a burning fever to sprint to the Dokusan room and eagerly present my insights. I was much more concerned with zazen and sitting still, at least outwardly still, and being secretly amused and shocked by the barkings of, don't move, stay still. <laughs> and when when I said sprint to the dokusan room, I meant that literally. <laughs> that is, an actual form, in Rin's eye, at the sound of the particular bell, all the students leap or struggle to their feet and race to the dokusan room as fast as possible, first come, first serve. <laughs> Obviously, formal Rinzai practice isn't for everyone and doesn't need to be. There are many ways and many good reasons to fold koans, Zen stories, into our gentle Soto practice. For me, in part, it's been about learning a language, acquiring a language, I sometimes refer to it as koanese, sort of getting used to the alliteration the poetry. Um, Speaking of Zen and poetry, we have uh, a teacher right here who's (laughs) offering an excellent class this coming week. Uh, A language of art and poetry, and sometimes I have found it to be a welcome relief from the straightforward linear and mostly logical mode of reading, teaching, and understanding. Indeed, we do talk about Zen Koans in our tradition, and we will likely continue to do so with our teachers, each other, and our Dharma friends. I think that only I think that the only requisite for Koan practice is earnestness and the spirit of inquiry. I think we can dispense with a lot of the theatrics, drama contrived hardships, which often are not necessary. Each and every one of us already brings genuine suffering and trauma into the fold, and I think that's more than enough. What has been helpful to me in my relationship with case one is adopting a start from scratch, beginner's mind, not a stretch, perspective or attitude and being okay with being vulnerable and feeling silly or clueless or embarrassed. I found that that's actually easier than feigned understanding, bravado, or just plain avoidance. At any rate, let's have another look. One day, the world-honored one ascended the seat. Manjushri struck the gavel and said, clearly observe the dharma of the king of dharma. The karma, the dharma, (laughs) of the king of dharma is thus. The World Honored One then got down from the seat. The unique breeze of reality, do you see? Continuously, creation runs her loom and shuttle, weaving the ancient brocade, incorporating the forms of spring. But nothing can be done about Manjushri's leaking. Between the main case and the verse, I counted 79 words with just one actual question. Do you see? Initially, I see two overt actions taking place. The Buddha ascending a seat and Manjushri's gavel strike. Next comes a declaration or maybe an invitation from Manjushri to clearly observe the Buddha's dharma. Manjushri even instructs us as how to observe thusly. What then is clear observation? It It is the opposite of obscured observation. It is not diluted observation or limited observation, nor karmic observation. How is otherwise clear observation obscured? By delusive thinking and limited views, by mistaking, imputation, name, form, signs, symbols, and language as truth itself, as reality itself. Clear observation is to see beyond, to see through, to make transparent. This observation is not bothered or affected by projection or imputation not obscured by conceptualization and imagination, nor is it a matter of addiction or subtraction. This is Manjushri's instruction to the assembly. So whether turning a koan or a sutra or a discourse or any experience in life, for that matter, we remember that words are pointers Indicators. Words are a finger pointing to the moon. They can be useful, indeed unavoidable, and they can trap us. I think that there's just a razor's edge between the two. Miss and you fall into doubt and vacillation. Turning away and touching, both wrong to clearly observe is not being caught up and not avoiding, not eliminating and not grasping. Turning away and touching are both wrong. Before Manjushri's gavel made a sound, before Mantisri spoke a word, the Buddha's Dharma was already correctly transmitted and is correctly transmitting. Thus, do you see? Was Manjushri's pointing helpful, necessary, extraneous? Did the author of this koan only want us to see that it is rude and in poor taste to interrupt a Buddha while on the teaching seat? Did Hong agree with that and consider it of the utmost importance to put this teaching first out of 99 other koans as a lesson in etiquette? Perhaps Manjushri is being cast in the role of a fall guy in the story, having the gall to point out suchness. Look, let's all have a sympathetic chuckle at misguided Manjushri. Now, surely you and I are above such unskilled behavior. Manjushri as the well-intentioned yet inept character cast into this role for the benefit of all beings. If so, then Manjushri's pointing or leaking could be seen as compassion, but limited compassion. In this Zen story, Manjushri is guest starring as the carved dragon and headlining this play is great compassion, true dragon in the form of a Buddha. What if in this story from the outset, The Buddha and the great perfect wisdom bodhisattva are working together. They're pivoting interplay according perfectly and harmoniously. What if Mandutri is leaking? Is great compassion disguised as karma compassion, disguised as skillful means for our benefit? The instruction to clearly observe itself is a manifestation of great compassion. And also, you have to say something. You have to say something. That's a Zen saying in a book by Dainan Katagiri Roshi. I would like to strongly disagree, but I cannot. (laughs) You have to say something. You have to say something is the same sentence as, but nothing can be done about Manjushri's leaking. Pointing and saying something and leaking and overflowing and outflowing is all the weaving of this ancient brocade. This Shusos Dharma talk is nonstop leaking inside six weeks of leaking about trees leaking. <laughs> nothing can be done about my leaking or your leaking. 79 words, one instruction, clearly observe and one question. Do you see the unique breeze of reality? Do you see continuously creation runs her loom and shuttle, weaving the ancient brocade, incorporating the forms of spring, but nothing can be done about Manjushri's leaking. And another expression. Do you see the true manner of the primal stage? Mother nature goes on weaving warp and woof. The woven old brocade contains the images of spring. Nothing can be done about Manjushri's outflowing. This is technically inaccurate. I'm not going to say it out loud. (laughs) Nevertheless, (laughs) nevertheless, I think that this verse written by Wang Song sometime later has such beautiful imagery to describe the functioning of the phenomenal world. It makes me want to stick around and remain thoroughly interwoven with all beings. I find this point of view heartening and encouraging, and a lot more manageable and positive than the other descriptions of samsara, something to escape, a hopeless, eternal wheel, something to regard as disdain and detachment. Like a fish in a puddle, what pleasure is there here? Way to kick off the weekend. (laughs) I guess tomorrow this is written before Thanksgiving. I guess tomorrow we'll all try not to smile and laugh. In celebration of gratitude for our kinship together these past six weeks, we will also fully avow the myriad forms of suffering and trauma and offerings of other forms of life that are also intrinsic in this ancient brocade and are right now supporting our present condition. Stick around in the thoroughly interwoven, that is the request and the vow of the Bodhisattva way leaking and pointing and outflowing and overflowing. Nothing can be done about the mother principle's dynamic functioning, which is perpetually co-arising, and gestating, and giving birth to the phenomenal world, and the 10,000 things. Seventy-nine words make up case one in the book of Serenity, and... 2,706 words will make up this Dharma talk. The meaning is not to be found in the words, but through their relationship, our relationships. When we align with great compassion, align with great perfect wisdom, there comes a response from that inquiring impulse. So to clearly observe is to observe lucidly. Lucid is an adjective characterized by clear perception or understanding, rational or sane, clear and transparent. Although dreaming, she was quite lucid. A few Sundays ago, Kokio gave a wonderful talk. Tom- brought up dreams and dreaming as an excellent analogy as to how we weave our way through the ancient brocade. A dream is the middle way between assertions of existence and non-existence. While we dream, we inhabit a world in which all the characters and scenes and objects and events are for some time taken as real. And all dream objects are experienced as separate from the subject, the dreamer, inhabiting the same dream. And at some point we gain so-called conventional waking consciousness and maybe consider this condition as authentic. And we reflect back upon the dream and recognize that every single element in the dream, no matter how bizarre or wondrous, is from the beginning all one mind. One mind manifesting as subject, and object, and action. Buddhism has many descriptions and metaphors and analogies for the nature of our world and world that is just like this like an illusion, like a bubble, like a shadow, like a dewdrop, like a flash of lightning, like a dream. And I think to inhabit a koan is just like this. And I wanted to recite this beautiful verse again from the Badra Kalpa Sutra, the auspicious Eon Sutra from the Buddha. My dreamlike form appears to dreamlike beings to teach a dreamlike Dharma that frees them from dreamlike suffering so they can realize a dream-like awakening. <laughs> oh, I might as well do this too. <clears throat> Dogen also presents his insights concerning dreaming in the fascicle from the treasury of the true Dharma Eye, called Within a Dream, Expressing the Dream, or Muchu Setsumu. According to Dogen, There are inner dreams, dream expressions, expressions of dreams, and dreams inside. Without being in a dream, there is no expression of dreams. Without expressing dreams, there is no being within a dream. Without expressing dreams, there are no Buddhas. Without being within a dream, Buddhas do not emerge and turn the wondrous Dharma wheel. This dharma wheel is no other than a Buddha together with the Buddha and a dream expressed within the dream. Elephants and dragons, if you have any questions about this talk or anything else, we will meet again soon. I predict that there will be lots and lots of leaking that day. And I said, thank you very much. So to circle back, that's the end of my talk I offered. From that first day of my Shusou hood, running the wake up bell, on the 48th and final morning of the running of the wake up bell, (laughs) I walked into the Zendo. (laughs) And to my surprise, all of my fellow students were already in there waiting for me so sitting in a dark quietly, uh, on, on the meditation platforms. And they quietly watched as I, for the final time, lit the candle, struck the Han, did three prostrations, ran the wake up bell for the last time, but only this time I had a, uh, a 30-piece orchestra with me. Everybody had an instrument. I don't know where they came up with them all. Everyone had some noisemaker of some kind. There was a, a couple of guitars, some horns, cymbals, and I'm pretty sure I heard a kazoo and <laughs> a cacophony. And, uh, yeah, that was uh, a joyous and noisy procession. Um, and one of our last activities together. So um, please, if you have any questions about, maybe I can answer for you about uh, my my adventure at Green Gulch, please feel free to ask. Thank you very much.